Social Daily. Le Grandes Equipe. The Champions League back at St. James's Park for the first time in 20 years. And oh, how every single Geordie thinks it was well worth the wait. Newcastle pasting Paris all over the tune on a night that won't be forgotten in a long, long time. Well, that depends how many beers they drank last night, of course. This is Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast, and we'll discuss that magical night at St. James's shortly. And for the fourth day in a row on the show, that VAR clangor between Liverpool and Spurs is on the agenda. This time, Jurgen Klopp has said his piece. The Liverpool boss thinks replaying the entire match is the fairest solution to what he calls an unprecedented incident. So, should we go back and do it all again? Of course we shouldn't, and we'll tell you why he's talking absolute nonsense very shortly. All of that to come on Football Social Daily, which is on the way next. Right, let's get stuck into it then. This is Football Social Daily. My name's Niall and Joel Tudor is alongside me. So is a very happy Marley Anderson. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing well. Hit my music. Where's the music? <laughs> what music do you want? The Champions League theme. Do you get a special one when you win it? <laughs> okay, here it goes. It's happening. <laughs> There's your music. Happy? Now, honestly, as soon as that uh, that music sort of hit last night, well, it's slightly before that, to be fair, ever since the the cameras came away from the flipping adverts um, and went to the the pre-match build-up, it was just I was just sat watching it on TV with you know hairs standing up, and I was wishing I got a Charlie and Chocolate Factory golden ticket to go and see it, but obviously I didn't get one for this time. Um, but uh, yeah, it just it never stopped either. It's just. The whole night, just hairs on end type of proper performance where, you know, we lived up to everything. We didn't shirk. We didn't didn't falter in the atmosphere. It was just off the charts. Like, my, 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 my wife kept saying to me, like, their microphones aren't working properly. Like, Rio Ferdinand and Shea Given and uh, Laura Woods. And I was like, it's just how loud it is. Like, that's, that's just, you, they can't do anything. Well, I have no affiliation to Newcastle whatsoever apart from the fact that you're my mate and you support them and I've got a few other Newcastle fans in my friend group but even I had goosebumps last night so yeah my I was talking to the the lads in the football um Sunday football chat and they were all like is anyone watching the new obviously like tagging me like except you is everyone anyone else watching the match and there was City fans watching the game on two screens but they had the audio from Newcastle on and had sort of City on the laptop and he was saying like the atmosphere is just ridiculous it's exactly what you what you want it was just the way when all of the fans started singing the champions you know everyone joining in that was brilliant hair standing on end moment is a great way to describe it there is something about the champions league though before we get into newcastle's performance where it kind of brings that emotion out of you i remember watching the champions league when i was growing up on free-to-air telly sat next to my dad on the sofa whether that's watching Liverpool or Man United or Arsenal or Chelsea or whoever, some of my earliest memories of being a football fan is being sat with my old man as a youngster, listening to that exact music and watching the best teams in Europe go at it. And I guess that nostalgia factor adds to the charm of the Champions League. My earliest memory was actually when Porto played Monaco, when Jose Mourinho was in charge. And I remember watching the final in my house 
And I'd never heard of these players in my life, like Porto as a club, Monaco as a club, seen, for the, for example, Carlos Alberto and Ludovic Julian, and all these different players. I mean, I had no <laughs> clue who they were. And yet I was watching them and they were just doing some ridiculous things. And it just kind of makes you wonder what's out there in the football world. There's a seven-year-old thinking, I've only watched English football and now suddenly you've got all these foreign players that are just incredible at what they do. And I remember seeing the storyline around Jose potentially going to Chelsea straight after and his celebrations were a little bit subdued after the Running game. Running down the line yeah. and everything. That's and vintage Champions and League. And at the me. end of the game, I was like, what, what's the storyline going on with this guy, this Portuguese manager? And from then on, it's just, it's just got a very magical feel, the European nighttime games. There's something about it. You know, with the dark, grey pea coat and the salt and pepper hairstyle just Jose Marino and those early years of watching football just makes me smile but I do think that the fact that those Champions League games were on free to air telly Marley whilst the Premier League has always been on paid for subscription service in this country I do think that adds to it because probably if I had Sky Sports as a youngster which I didn't then sitting down and watching Premier League games with my old man would have similar memories but the fact that the Champions League was a chance to sit down on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and watch football for 90 minutes the best teams in the world that must have something to do with it yeah I think it definitely does because when you're sort of free to air in your early stages if we think the Champions League only started rebranded in uh, 92 so you're sort of looking at them early years and that's what builds up the the viewing figures and creates the hype and creates the the sort of prestige of what the tournament is today and now it's all behind a paywall but you've built up the fans because they've they've watched it on free to air and they know it's Europe's elite competition so they pay for the packages they pay for TNT Sports or Sky Sports or Amazon or whoever's whoever's got it you know what I mean so if they put it behind a paywall at the start you you would never have got anywhere near the sort of money that that there is now and that's just the way they've built it but yeah, I'm just uh, I'm glad I got to watch it last night by hook or by crook. So <laughs> I was always gonna always gonna go to that. I was just gonna add as well, just what from both of what you've saying, it is a real shame that kids nowadays may not be able to ever experience Champions League football because when I was younger, my household couldn't afford to pay for Sky Sports. So I relied on the ITV for American or any foreign fans listening. ITV is the the freeview channel that we all get on our TV, like cable, I guess what you call it. And that was the only time I could watch a home leg of an English club. I'd watch every English club because it was a chance for me to watch football on TV. And the fact that now there is absolutely nothing, all you can watch is the highlights. I actually feel for the kids who cannot, whose households can't actually afford to watch those games because they're my core memories of European football and what actually made me fall in love with the game to begin with as a young child. Totally agree. Absolutely echo everything that you and Marley have said. Those games being available to all certainly did, I think, spark a generation of football fans Everyone remembers, you know, when Drogba looked down the lens of the camera and screamed, it's a <laughs> disgrace. You know, I think these things you remember when you're young and impressionable. And the Champions League, even though that music still gives you goosebumps, I don't think it is quite the same as it used to be. But maybe that's just because we've grown older. Only kids of today will be able to attest to that. But what we can attest to is that Newcastle United are top of their Champions League group because they not only beat PSG last night, they absolutely tore them apart. What a performance 
from Eddie Howe's side at St. James's Park. Marley can't stop grinning. <laughs> you won't be able to see this if you're listening. But, like yeah, a Cheshire cat, my grinning. God. In the intro, I said, <laughs> Le Grand des Equipes, which is one of the lyrics from the Champions League theme tune. Does anyone know what that means? Anyone good at their French? The big team? The greatest team. The greatest yeah. team. The greatest teams. And... In the I don't group. know what it is, but it's getting tattooed on my arm if we win it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say your <laughs> arse then. <laughs> <laughs> but the greatest teams is exactly what it stands for. And Newcastle United weren't expected to be one of the greatest teams in the competition this year. But yet they've shown against the side who have been there in the later stages of the competition. And they shredded them. Yeah, we uh, we rose to the occasion and, and another 20%, 50%. Um, we were just incredible from start to finish. The the atmosphere was just insane, as I mentioned before. And that, I think our, our players are used to that. They're used to having the amazing atmosphere every week, but then they raise the game even more, you know. Um, I was sat there thinking when, when the game started and we were pressing PSG, I thought it's... We've got to get the breakthrough while we've got the energy because to press for 90 minutes is so is so hard. Um, so hopefully we get a, we get a breakthrough because when we get tired, that's when PSG will take over and they'll start beating your press and Mbappe will start having shots on goal and things like that. And you don't want that. Um, but at home, we win it with that, that adrenaline. And once you get that goal, you know, that, that all combines to, you know, we're going to press you for 90 minutes and we're going to force you to make mistakes and you're going to crumble. Um, and we're, we're not. So that was, I think, if we were away from home, you would you would see the legs getting tired and, and things like that. But not not at home, not on that night, and you know the first night in twenty years of winning the Champions League and all the rest of it. So it's just a perfect perfect night, really. Well, I said yesterday six draws. You know, with the teams you're coming up against, you'd probably take six draws in the group stages of the Champions League. It might not be enough to get you through. But on reflection, are those home games, Marley, going to be what gets you through the group? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, and there's no real excuse now for it. You know, we've we've beaten PSG. We're probably the best of the rest, if that makes sense. Like you look outside Bayern, Man City, and Real Madrid, you probably then look at PSG. And I know they're they're always a collection of individuals. And in my opinion, I don't think they'll ever win a Champions League. Um, but they're still they've still got probably the best player in the world in Mbappe. They've still got one of the best goalies in the world in Donnarumma. You know, Marquinhos, Hakimi. Um, all these players are, are, are world-class players. They spend 90 million on Kolo Muani up front, who looked like a championship-level striker last night, kept giving the ball away, panicked, crumbled. Um, so those those atmospheres and you know those occasions to be backed up by a result like that, which you know just spread across Europe like wildfire, like Newcastle have battered PSG, um, not just beat them, not just played well and and got a, a snuck a result. It was it was murder from start to finish. They they couldn't live with us, and that's the level we've got to be now. I think um, Luis Enrique said something really really nice before the game uh, in his pre match pre match press conference, and he he said that um, Newcastle were the one team from pot four that nobody wanted, um, and he proved that. I think you know we we proved that last night. We went toe to toe with them. 
Um, and we came out with it uh, with it nice. I think Enrique got his, his tactics wrong, but you've still got to capitalise when you can. I thought when you said that he was going to be complimentary about Newcastle that you might have said something like, oh, I quite like a steak bake or a sausage roll from Greg's. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I think the reason he, he, he sort of knows that is he played for a, for Barcelona when they played us in um, in 96-97. Tino Aspria scored, scored the hat-trick. He played in that game, I, I think. Um, and he was also managed by Sir Bobby Robson a, a few few years prior to that. So, you know, even though we're coming into this tournament for the first time in, in 20 years, you know, teams know us and people know us and they sort of see that. And it's good to see that, you know, we're not a sort of just also ran pot four team that usually gets steamrolled by everyone else. So, yeah, I'm uh, pretty happy. Just finally then, Marley, from your perspective, Sean Longstaff... Someone who is, I don't want to use the term, a hangover from the Benitez, Bruce, Mike Ashley days. A survivor. A survivor might be a better term, yeah. (laughs) He said after the game last night, I'm proud to be from Newcastle. Now, most people are proud to be where they come from, but to hear a professional player who is living the dream of a lot of Geordies by scoring a goal in the Champions League at St. James's Park against a European giant like PSG, that must feel quite nice to hear that. Yeah, 100%. And him and Dan Byrne are, you know, just two lads living the dream. Um, you know, you, you grow up as a, as a Newcastle fan. We've got a few of them in the squad as well. Uh, Jacob Murphy's a Newcastle fan. Um, Lewis Hall as well. I think his dad's from uh, from Newcastle, so he grew up as a Newcastle fan as well. And, you know, it, it means more to, to those types of players, and especially like for the two of them to score was insane. Um, and it's ironic because the last big, big game we had at St. James's Park was the semi-final of the Carabao last year um, against Southampton. And Dan Burns scored in the first leg. Um, and I think Longstaff scored as well. So it was one of them where um, it was, it's weird how things work, but, you know, it's it's great for, for the local lads to to get on the score sheet because a lot, of, a lot of teams don't have local lads in the team, really, um, with the money that's floats around the Premier League and around Europe and things like that. But it was uh it was a night that would live sort of long in the memory type of thing and it was probably worth the the twenty year wait um for that uh for that those nights to return type of thing. Obviously Joel on these sorts of nights there's a lot of adrenaline, there's a lot of emotion for better or for worse. On this occasion for Newcastle it was for better. They're away at West Ham in the Premier League on Sunday, then they've got back to back games at St James's how important is it that they capture this momentum and drive it into the Premier League? Because so often we see teams with a big success in the week in Europe and then at the weekend it can come unravelling. Well, this is the thing we talked about when Newcastle initially got the Champions League, which is how are they going to be able to cope with the constant games, the constant squad rotation. But I think it'll just be a bit more of a kickstart for their season, to be honest. I think they had a pretty difficult start as it was with the fixtures that they had, you know, playing the likes of Manchester City so early and getting pretty poor results in those early three or four games. But I feel like... It was just a case of building and kind of finding their feet in the season. And like I said yesterday, with the likes of Paris Saint-Germain and these kind of clubs, you've always got a chance when you come home and play these types of teams because it's just a different kind of atmosphere. And I know that 
Newcastle, I've always seen St. James's Park as a little bit tactful because they like to put the away fans basically in the sky. So they have no influence on the game whatsoever. Yeah, they, anyway. They've always been there. They've been there for 25, 30 years or however long it's been since they redid the roof. So it's not a new thing. Teams know that when they go to St. James's. No, I know. But I mean, it's tactful in the sense that even Paris Saint-Germain's ultras could barely affect the game. And they're some of the loudest fans I've ever heard in my life. Do you not think that's though because Newcastle are in such a good spot? Whereas five years ago under Mike Ashley... I can tell you for a fact, the place had absolutely no atmosphere. Well, it's, it's incredible what a culture shift happens when you get new ownership in, isn't it? That's what exactly happens. You get a good feel lift. I'm just saying in general, is it just plays into Newcastle's hands in terms of how this group will probably go. Because that is the biggest perk that Newcastle have is their home form and their home fans, especially when things are going good. And with four games left, I feel like if they can get four or five points in those games, they're pretty much home and dry, aren't they? But I think they would, for Newcastle especially, it's important, I think, that they try and top the group now because you don't want to be getting the likes of you know Real Madrid or buying straight away just when you've done all the hard work in such a difficult group as well. Yeah, still a long way to go, but a night that will live long in the memory of every Newcastle fan. They beat PSG 4-1 in the Champions League last night. Tonight, it's the Europa League, and next we're going to talk about Liverpool, who do have a game in that competition this evening. But we're going to talk more about Jurgen Klopp's press conference, because you'll remember at the back end of yesterday's Football Social Daily, we revealed that Jurgen Klopp had announced in his press conference that he'd quite like to see Liverpool against Spurs replayed because of the VAR drama from the weekend. We'll talk about it more next on FSD. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is the award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall. Joel and Marley are with me, as they have been right throughout this week. And this is now the fourth day in a row that we've discussed the VAR decision, which ruled out Luis Diaz's goal for Liverpool against Tottenham in the Premier League on Saturday, I think it was. Joel, I'm sick of this now. I'm fed up of talking about it. But it just seems like there's a new strand to this story every day. And the latest is that, as we expected, Jurgen Klopp has been quizzed in his pre-match press conference ahead of Liverpool's game in the Europa League tonight. He was asked his reaction to the audio being released, which you guys both reacted to yesterday. What do you make of what he's had to say? And we'll go into it in more detail shortly. It's hilarious. The sense of entitlement that you could hear from that quote is just beyond belief. Because I thought they dealt with it decently in terms of wanting a review. And even then I was thinking that's a bit much like what more do you want? And the fact that now Klopp thinks that they have the divine right to potentially have another game. Okay, well, let me ask you boys this question then. Have you got any games that your club would like to replay? Because I have a few that United would like to replay. Maybe not this season because I don't think we'd win it anyway. (laughs) If we played it tomorrow, would how many? Joel, I've got (laughs) a few seasons that I'd like to replay, let alone games. Um, That's not the question. Well, let's hear exactly what Jurgen Klopp did have to say when asked about it yesterday in the press conference. The audio didn't change it at all. Um, because I was not really interested in that why things happened because I knew um, I saw the outcome I saw a goal we scored and um, it didn't count so I was now not waiting for the audio and then sitting there and and, and hoping I find out how it could happen or whatever so what I want to say is it's really important that we 
as big as football is, that we trust, and important as football is for us at least, um, that we really deal with it in a, in a proper way. So, and I mean that all of the people involved, on-field ref, linesman, um, fourth official, and especially now in this case VAR, they didn't do that on purpose. So, and we, we should not forget that. Yes, it was a mistake, an obvious mistake, and I think there would have been solutions for it afterwards, if not, and I can say immediately, even probably some people don't want me that to say, but as a, not as the manager of Liverpool so much, more as a, a football person, I think the, the only, the, the outcome should be a replay. That's how it is, probably will not happen. The argument against that will probably be if we open that gate, then everybody will ask for it. I think the situation is that unprecedented that it uh, um, didn't happen before in that moment. And we all use, I'm 56 years old, and, and I'm since 50 years in football, and I'm absolutely used. I don't deal over it always well with it, but I'm used to wrong decisions, difficult decisions, blah, 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 all these kind of things. So there we go. The thoughts of Jurgen Klopp when asked about that VAR decision to rule out Luis Diaz's goal for his team against Spurs on Saturday. Clearly human error, which we all agreed would have been the case. There was no evidence of any conspiracy. And actually Jurgen Klopp said exactly, Joel, what me and Marley both said yesterday, which was the audio doesn't change anything. Jurgen Klopp said the exact same thing. He doesn't feel any different now that he's heard it. So uh, what was the point of his comments then? I don't. Nothing's changed for him. Nothing of that decision changed anything. And you can go back in the course of history. I'm, I'm not even saying pre-VAR. I'm saying post-VAR. You can go through a number of those issues. If Jurgen Klopp's saying he deserves a... He would like a replay or he thinks it's just have a replay. Well, then Aston Villa and Sheffield need to go and play next week. And then the loser of that needs to go down. Because it's set... Just imagine if this was the case where if there's a major error like that, it means that there's a replay. What precedent does that set for the future, really? It's crazy. Well, to be fair to him, he did address that in that quote, didn't he? He did address that. He said, I know if this happens, everyone will be asking for replays of games from years gone by and even longer ago. But he also went on to say that it's unprecedented. And so too was Sheffield United against Aston Villa where the Hawkeye didn't work. I think at the time, I remember there being a statistic like 9,000 football matches, goal line technology had been used in and it had never failed once. So, you know, that is like Leicester winning the title twice over. Two times less likely than Leicester City winning the Premier League title because they were 4,000 to one or whatever. And this is 9,000 to one. So that was just an unprecedented error. Jurgen Klopp seems to think this was unprecedented. Is it? Or is it just another shocker? It's, it was always coming. I, I, I th- because when you look at, for example, the transcript now and now that we've heard it, it's clear that there was such a huge error and a huge flaw in the communication of what was going on in terms of the protocols. So if you look at it from that perspective, I feel like it was always going to happen at some point because let's not forget VAR is still relatively new in terms of the whole kind of development of it I still feel like they're still adding to it and understanding what works what doesn't work and that's all all, whenever a new technology is brought in it's always a case of improvement it's almost like building an app he's going to have bugs along the way that needs to be fixed in, in order for it to be on a level playing field but just his comments in general I don't know if he's done it to try and put pressure to show how much of a magnitudal decision that was or error that was 
but it just screams entitlement because Liverpool don't deserve a review just as much as a Brentford would deserve a review. No team deserves more priority over their decision over someone else. I don't know, for me, it just screamed entitlement when he said that. Well, he also said that he saw it from his perspective as a lover of football and not as the manager of Liverpool Football Club, which I thought was absolute rubbish. As much as Jurgen Klopp, I think, sometimes does make some very valuable points in his press conferences, I just thought you absolutely are not seeing it through the lens or perspective of a football fan, Marley. You're seeing it through the lens of your position as the manager of Liverpool. And he said that as a fan, his position would be the most fair thing to do would be a replay. And actually, to defend Jurgen Klopp slightly, he wasn't asking for the game to be replayed. He just said, in his opinion, because he knew it's not going to happen, that would be the most fair thing to do. What's your take on the whole situation? Because we kind of laugh about it because it's a ridiculous notion to replay the entire match because of one genuine mistake from the officials. And I know it was a bad error. Liverpool fans, we all agree it was a terrible error. Gary Neville, who of course isn't most fondly thought of by Liverpool fans, he was quick to turn on Liverpool on social media and say that all of the credit in the bank, I suppose you could say, that Liverpool had gained from this situation and feeling hard done by was completely washed away by Jurgen Klopp's comment that he feels the game should be replayed. Do you share that sentiment? Yeah, I think so. Um, my favourite thing from this whole situation is uh, is social media reacting with every time a bad decision has been sort of made against their club and saying, can we replay this? Um, and, you know, Watford put, a, <laughs> put one straight out on TikTok, which is hilarious. Yeah. Wolves did one. Yeah, Wolves did one. Yeah, Um, you've had people asking for the 2010 League Cup being replayed. Um, Gabby Agbonlaho wanted that replayed because Phil Dowd said that Vidic should have been sent off for a challenge on him. (laughs) Um, You know, all sorts. The the 1986 World Cup (laughs) getting replayed when Maradona... I wonder wonder who was the person who requested that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Peter Peter Shilton's clapping away on his his keyboard as we speak. Joel wants the FA Cup quarterfinal 2008 to be replayed. Quarterfinal gets paused and that's still a little long in the memory. (laughs) Rent-free, Joel, rent-free. Oh, honestly. (laughs) Treble was on as well. But without banging the drum and kind of patting myself on the back, did I not say a couple of days ago that... Bad decisions have been part of the fabric of football ever since football has been invented because of the human error element of the game. You can't get away from it. It doesn't matter how much technology you put in place. Mistakes will be made. And because more is at stake in terms of the money and the jobs and the importance of football nowadays, people are starting to get more and more angry about it. Yeah, and people are people are calling it an unprecedented situation. Um, but when you cut down to the bare bones of it, you know, a player has been incorrectly called offside when he wasn't, and that's been happening for years. It just happens now that we we've got less of an excuse to get it wrong, but still, it's human error. I've seen it in the, in the Newcastle game last night. Semi-automated VAR came in um, for Dan Burns' goal, and everyone clearly seen that Marquinhos' right foot played Bruno on when Tenali passed in the ball, and that was that was there ready to. It was just dead quick there wasn't any drawing of the lines and stuff so really what i heard i heard the ref made a mistake who's, who said that jürgen Klopp. yeah <laughs> god yeah, he was straight on it yeah <laughs> well he's got nothing else to do on wednesday nights now has he because he's uh he's fl- usually flying to some arse end of belgium to play union Saint. <laughs> so it's one of them he's got nothing else to do um but yeah it's he had a lot of time to prepare what he was gonna say 
um, in that press conference because obviously he knows he's going to get asked about it. Um, and he didn't have to say, he didn't even have to mention replay. He just had to just say, you know, they're inept, they're, they can't make these mistakes, etc. But he came out with the specific line, I think, that in fairness it should be replayed, which, I mean, immediately he said, you know, it opens a can of worms. So he kind of immediately squashed his own point. Um, so why say it? You know, it's, you've, you've just admitted yourself, you know it's not going to get replayed. So why just, why open yourself up to that stick? Why open your football club up to that, that, to that level of criticism? And now everyone's finding you know, uh, clips of Liverpool being terrible winners. There's that one of Van Dijk um, when they got away with a couple of decisions against Roma and he literally just said, I don't care um, when uh, when asked about it in the interview. And, you know, it, mm. it just, it's, it, he's turned it into Liverpool against the world. Um, and he's admitted as well that the mistake wasn't made deliberately. And I think that that was the strange thing out of this whole thing for me because social media... We know social media isn't an accurate reflection of general society, but a lot of people online were saying, you need to release the audio immediately. We need to be clear on the fact that Liverpool weren't treated differently to any other club because it's Liverpool. Everyone knew that wasn't the case. And now that that has been released, that's still not good enough. And I think that maybe that's people online with partisan views supporting a certain club that maybe are trying to call the bluff of those in charge. So PGMOL go, all right, then here's the audio. And then Liverpool fans go, oh, well, OK, um, you're not deliberately making decisions against us. Uh, let's have a replay. And it's almost like that partisan trying to fight your corner sort of thing. And I think that there is a balance to it. And the balance is not there anymore with this debate. It's completely blown out of proportion. It is a shocking error. And I feel for Liverpool fans because they've been massively hard done by in the game. But so have every other football team. And this is a game against Spurs early on in the season. Now, if Liverpool end up missing out on the Champions League or the title or something by a point or two points, then you can look back and you can go, wow, okay, that's serious. But the chances of that happening are quite slim, I think. So, I mean, it's one of those where I think that the hypocrisy and the fickleness of football has come through in this press conference because Jurgen Klopp says these things should not happen. Other mistakes should not happen. We need to find a solution to deal with it. We rush the decisions. We get them quickly, but we get the wrong decisions. Now, I am certain I've heard Jurgen Klopp in a post-match interview before complain about how long it takes for VAR to make the decision. And now he's talking about the decisions being rushed. So... It's only ever through the perspective of what suits you. And naturally, what suits him as the Liverpool manager, Joel, would be to call for a replay and get the match played again. You know, one of the things that's annoyed me with this is the presumption from Liverpool fans, especially, that they were going to win the game based on this goal. So a lot of them have said, oh, at the end of the season, if we're down by three points or if we're down by one point, on what planet do you believe that that goal was going to entitle you to three points? Spurs were playing well at that point. Who knows what would have happened after that goal? Spurs might have gone on to try and win the game. I don't know. No one can tell me what could have happened or couldn't have happened. So it's not like it was a 90th minute title winning deciding goal that has been chalked off and then I could probably understand it and think, well, there was no real time left. So that's the biggest gripe for me. But the fact it was so early on in the game with a huge 45 minutes left of football where absolutely anything could happen during that time, for me, it's just 
part of football. I mean, the Luis Garcia ghost goal, I'm sure Chelsea would love a word about that one because that would change the course of Liverpool's history in terms of how many Champions Leagues they've won. I'm sure it would. But they also can't tell me as well that they would have gone on to win that game or Chelsea would have gone on to win that game because we'll never know. So again, I understand and we've discussed it at length that they feel a gripe because first of all, they were all conspiracy theories that it was all against Liverpool. That's been shut out the window. Now there's a kind of gr- complaint that because it would have given them three or one more points that that's another hindrance against Liverpool. I'm sorry, but at the bottom, at the end of the day, I understand that VAR gives you the chance to see it multiple times. VAR is still in its infancy. I think everyone forgets that. They're still trying... As they go along, they're learning about it. As they're going along, they're reviewing it and reviewing the situation. And, and unfortunately, some clubs are going to fall victim to some of these errors because why? Humans are running it and we're all fallible people. So at the end of the day, it will happen, but I think they'll learn a lot from this. And I know in our Telegram group, a lot of people have been suggesting about you know refining the communication, actually saying outright, is this a goal? Do you confirm that this is a goal? Rather than it being a little bit, you have to try and understand exactly what that means uh, intuitively so I think once they refine it a bit more we should see a complete eradication of this kind of error and if you want to join the conversation away from the podcast then you can join that telegram group the link to it is in the description of this show so go and find it there finally then four days in a row we've spoken about this decision that's the end of it isn't it that's a line under it, surely. And Until this weekend when it happens again. <laughs> I was going to say, surely the officials this weekend are going to be absolutely f***ing themselves. Yeah. Question for you guys. Do you think the officials are going to be even more scared when they have to officiate a Liverpool game now? No. Nah. Just in case some kind of mistake comes up where they feel it should be. Because sometimes I feel like in the back of their mind, they're worried that if the same thing happens to that same team, especially an error like this that they don't want to create a mountain out of a molehill. Well, I was going to say mountain out of a molehill, but it already is a mountain based on how Liverpool fans have made. The thing is, like, they even if they're nervous, they're a team. <laughs> so so get it right up between you. You know what I mean? They, they This was a rare situation where the whole team messed up. Uh, and the one guy who didn't mess up was, the you know, some guy who literally just hits play on replay. Um and you, you couldn't make it up, <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, it's down to years to, to get it right. And, you know, referees have made mistakes before. I think, you know, Joel mentioned there about would they have been more nervous? But I think back in the day where you were just a referee and you had to get everything right and you, you mess one up, um, that would lead you to be more nervous the next time because you never had the backup of VAR. Whereas now, you know, your whole, you know, five things have to go wrong. You have to miscommunicate it. You have to give the wrong decision on the field. You've got to then trust three guys in the truck to to communicate and understand what's going on. And they all got it wrong on, on Saturday night. So hopefully that doesn't happen again to anyone. All right. Well, hopefully that's the end of the VAR debate, at least for the next couple of days. Next up on Football Social Daily, though, it's the international break coming up soon. And Gareth Southgate is set to announce his latest England squad. Who should be included? Will there be any surprise names added? There are a couple of injuries to deal with. We'll talk about it next after this.
International break's coming up soon. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. So how did England go about making sure they pick up some more points in their Euro 2024 qualifiers? They take on Italy at Wembley. They're in a strong position at the top of Group C on 13 points. That's at least six points ahead of the Italians who they come up against on Tuesday the 17th of October. So we're a good 12 days away from that England game. But later on, Gareth Southgate will be picking his... England squad for that match. Do you think we might see any surprise inclusions? Last night in the Champions League, Marley, Pep Guardiola was loving Rico Lewis and his performance. Wow, he said to the reporter after the game. Wow enough to be called up by Gareth Southgate? What do you think? Uh, I would normally say no, but then thinking about the um, the options that, that England have got in midfield, that is one area where they really lack... Um, numbers. You think about Calvin Phillips gets in the squad, doesn't really play for City. He'll probably be in again. I'm not expecting him to get dropped, but you know, you look outside that, and how long do you keep picking Henderson for? And Rico Lewis is uh, is in that position where he can do a couple of jobs in the in the squad, and he's playing well for for Man City. He's probably playing more minutes than than other players as well. So. He'll, I think he'll be in there. I think James Ward-Prowse has had a good start to his life at, uh, at West Ham. Um, so we might see him back in as well. But uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, I suppose. I think Phillips is an interesting debate, which I want to touch on again in a second. But what about Ollie Watkins? Scored a hat-trick against Brighton. Started the season well. Obviously, Callum Wilson is someone that Gareth Southgate likes. But in terms of the way that Ollie Watkins has found the back of the net this season so far, Joel, in Aston Villa's positive start. Do you think he gets a call-up? Because obviously Kane's going to be in. He's the England captain. So who's going to play foil to Harry Kane? Do you think it'd be Watkins first up and then Wilson? Yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter who goes in after Kane because he barely gets any minutes anyway. But if you're talking about who deserves it more on the last few games, it has to be Watkins for me. And I just think he adds a little bit something different, especially in terms of his pace going in behind. And after the hat-tricks that he scored in the league this season, I think he deserves a go, to be honest, just to see if he can kind of bed in. And it's good to just have a different kind of dynamic in the forward departments. But I know that Bukayo Saka, he's meant to be potentially injured. So I've been pretty impressed with Anthony Gordon going into the England squad. So I think he could be potentially an outsider chance if Southgate wants to add to more of that really bloated attack, which is difficult to get into that attack now because there's just so many options in every single area. Um, also, Mason Mount might be even an outside shout because he's had a pretty encouraging start after his injury, potentially. Well, Jared Bowen is in, according to some newspaper reports, but James Ward-Prowse, as Marley mentioned a second ago, isn't in. That's according to one particular newspaper. That's interesting because it drags us back to the Calvin Phillips debate. Phillips has played a few games for Manchester City this season in the absence of Rodri. When Rodri's back available again, he'll come straight back into the side. And I think part of the problem with Phillips at Man City is that he's playing behind one of the world's best. Do you think he's done enough to get into the England squad this time? I don't. But also, we know how much Southgate likes to pick those that he's relied on in the past. I think the issue for England is that we've just got no real quality in defensive midfield, especially as backup. Obviously, you've got Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice. They're the two that are going to be the main guys for England in the midfield. 
But after those two enthralling Calvin Phillips midfield appearances, I mean, Southgate's going to be using that as his defence for the next two months now. Did you not see Calvin Phillips play for City? He was incredible. But James Ward-Prowse, I just don't understand what more he has to do, to be honest. I know now you're not a massive fan of him for obvious reasons and even for reasons of him playing on the pitch. But I just think for his set pieces alone and what he can bring in that department, I just think he's a really useful tool to have. Um, but again, when a manager has his favourites and Calvin Phillips is in a, an area of the pitch that is just so lacking in quality, I think you're always going to be fighting against the wind. Just finally then, Bellingham, the enigma that is, just looks like he's got the world at his feet, again, dominating for Real Madrid in the Champions League and La Liga over the last few weeks. He doesn't start that often for Gareth Southgate's England team. Do you think that'll start to change soon with the tournament? On the horizon, Joel. Yeah, you've got you base your team around him. He's an absolute star player now. When you've got a guy playing for Real Madrid and he's the icon there at the moment, he is the guy that you send to your midfield around. And we've been crying out for a midfielder like this in such a long time. I mean, I think he's probably the best midfielder coming through since the likes of Scholes, Gerrard and Lampard, to be honest. Just in terms of what he brings to the team, he's just dynamic. He can play as a number eight, he could potentially play as a number ten. Maybe even a number six, but I think he'd be wasted there anyway. But he's just such an amazing box-to-box. He reminds me a bit of Arturo Vidal in the way that he can just take on any position and he looks absolutely <laughs> incredible in every single department. And to have a player like that... I'd love that, someone to put their arm around Jude Bellingham and say, do you know what, mate? Do you know who you remind me of? Arturo Vidal. That's, a, that's an incredible <laughs> compliment. Arturo Vidal was one of the best in the world at Juventus for a period of time. I, I know, but it's just not the name that I thought you'd be plucking out. But, no, but more so just you get those types of players, you know what I mean, where they can literally, it all across the midfield, they are world-class in pretty much every department. You could put them anywhere and they would work. I think Jude Bellingham is exactly the same. He's just so dynamic. Yeah, he's become a box-to-box player now, hasn't he? Added goals to his game. I'm not sure how many goals he scored at Dortmund, but what a start to life he's had at the Santiago Bernabeu. Okay, the England squad will be announced very, very shortly, but we'll talk about that next week, I think, when the international break rolls around. I think it might be a couple of weeks' time, actually. But we'll be here for it anyway on Football Social Daily, and you can stay up to date with every episode of this podcast by hitting follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can also stay in the loop with us on Telegram and our social media channels. You can check those out in the description of this episode of the podcast. Marley's off to go and have a few more pints of cider just to kind of carry on from where he left off last night. Uh, That is it from Football Social Daily today. We'll catch you next time. See you then. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.